नमो भगवते नारायणम पुरुषमाद्यम व्ययम श्री अखरोर I bound down to you the cause of all causes the original and inexhaustible supreme person Narayan from the world of the lotus born from your navel Brahma appeared and by his agency this universe has come into being earth water fire air ether and its source false ego the mahatattva the total material nature and her source the supreme lord's purusha expansion the mind the senses the sense objects and the senses presiding deities all these causes of the cosmic manifestation are born from your transcendental body the total material nature and these other elements of creation certainly cannot know you as you are for they are manifested in the realm of dull matter since you are beyond the modes of nature even lord brahma who is bound up in these modes does not know your true identity purport god is transcendental to material nature unless we also transcend the limited consciousness of material existence we cannot know him even the greatest living entity in the universe brahma cannot understand the supreme unless he comes to the platform of pure krishna consciousness We are reading today from Shrimad Bhagavatam canto 10 chapter 40 entitled The Prayers of Akrura text 1 to 3 In these pages of Shrimad Bhagavatam we find akrura on the banks of the river yamuna offering these prayers the story 
of Akrura's coming to Brindavan on the order of Kamsa to bring Krishna out of Brindavan has been meditated upon, sung in beautiful poetry, and moved limitless hearts over the ages. Tomorrow I will discuss the story. Today I would like to specifically address this verse that we are reading today. Akrura is Krishna's uncle. And a great devotee with a completely pure heart. It was for this reason that Kamsa chose him to bring the message to Krishna and Balaram. Kamsa had sent so many powerful yogis who had demoniac natures to Vrindavan to kill Krishna. But Krishna, without even once lifting a single weapon, in the most exciting, imaginative ways, he delivered all of them. He did it in such a way just to attract our hearts forever. Ultimately, Narada Muni came to Kamsa and specifically told him that the person that is destined to kill you is Krishna, the son of Nanda. Actually, he's the son of Vasudev. Vasudev cheated you. Kamsa was so angry. He wanted to immediately kill Vasudev, immediately kill Ugrasena, his father, everyone. But Narada Muni said, don't do that. It will only make things worse. Krishna is the one you want to get. So now, for the first time, Kamsa was totally focused. Previously, he was trying to kill Krishna in so many ways, but he wasn't 100% for sure that that was the boy. That was his enemy. Just like in sports, when you're in your own place, you have a certain advantage over the visiting team. So Kamsa was sending his people to Brindavan, and they were all losing the match. (laughs) So Kamsa was convinced, if I bring Krishna to Mathura, my place, then he will be destroyed. And he had so many terrible ways of, with different 
levels, alternatives of how to kill Krishna in Balaram. First he would invite them to a bow sacrifice and a wrestling match. When they would arrive, he had a Kuvalayapita, huge, gigantic elephant that was sure to kill little Krishna. But if that didn't work, he had Chanura and Mustika, these big wrestlers. He had so many plans and alternative plans. But how to get Krishna to come? Krishna's Govinda. He loves his cows, he loves his calves. From the time Krishna appeared in Vrindavan, he never left Vrindavan. The only hint of his leaving is when he went underwater to Varuna's abode to get Nanda Maharaj. But in one sense, he didn't leave Vrindavan because he was in the Yamuna. But he never left. And he was so much loved by Yashoda and Nanda and all the gopas and gopis, Sri Radha. How could he ever leave Vrindavan? Why would he ever leave Vrindavan? And at the time he was just a small boy, hardly 11 years old. But Kamsa was very intelligent. He knew Akrura's love and devotion. Krishna cannot refuse the love of his devotee. If he just sent a messenger, it wouldn't have worked. But if Akrura goes to ask Krishna, then Krishna will come. Because Akrura was such a loving devotee. And Kamsa told Akrura his intent. You go. I will give you a brand new chariot. You go and you invite Krishna to come. And he told him the whole plan. I'll have Kuvaliyapita kill him. Otherwise, I'll have Chanura and Mustika, the world champ, the universal champion wrestlers, I'll have him kill. So Akrura was going on a very, very demoniac mission from Kamsa's side. But Akrura knew that Krishna was the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He's the controller of all controllers, the absolute truth. So he rode his chariot with great anticipation because in one sense he never even got to see Krishna. Yes, it's not that he was visiting Vrindavan. Krishna was his beloved Lord. But on the day of Krishna's birth, he was brought from Mathura to Vrindavan from that perspective. So Akrura He knew that Krishna would understand his intention. And he understood that he was, 
he was a part of Krishna's plan. So when he came to Vrindavan, Krishna and Balaram, Nanda, Yashoda greeted him so nicely. And when he told that they, he was going to take them away, the gopis were in so much anguish. Yashoda Mai was in so much anguish. Even Krishna and Balaram, seeing his devotees in that state, were in so much transcendental anguish. But they went. And as he came out of the precincts of Vrindavan, they came to the Yamuna River. And Krishna Balaram wanted to do some little ceremonies and drink some water. And the Kura watched. And after they came back to the chariot, Akura said, let me take my bath. And with Krishna's permission, he went into Yamuna to take his bath. And as he was bathing and offering his prayers, he saw Krishna and Balaram in the Yamuna, the river. And this was very striking to him. How are they here? They were just on the chariot. So he went back to the chariot, and Krishna and Balaram were sitting on the chariot. (laughs) Then he went back to the river, and he saw them in the river. Then he saw Krishna manifest his form of Narayan. Beautiful, bluish form. He was holding his, with four arms, he was holding his paraphernalia, the shell, the chakra, the gada, the padma. And Balaram became Anantashesha, the thousand hoods laying as the bed for, for Narayan to live, to rest upon. And he saw Brahma and Shiva and all the devas and the nagas and the asuras and the devas and everyone was around Krishna offering prayers and worship. And again, in these verses, he's offering his prayers. In this prayer today, he's describing the entire material manifestation it is all coming from Krishna. Yes, Sarva Karana Karadam, the cause of all causes. Janmadya Shyagata. Everything emanates from Krishna. Aham Sarvasya Prabhavo Matta Sarvam Pravartate Iti Matva Bhajande Mambuddha Bhava Samanvita. All material and all spiritual worlds have their origin in the one supreme absolute truth. And he's describing how this material world has been created. The total material nature, the mind, the senses, the, the eight elements, the 25 elements of creation, the Mahatattva, 
so complex, so inconceivable. Material nature itself is incomprehensible and inconceivable to any degree of material intelligence. We can discover so many apparent truths of how this universe um, is working, but it's only very external and superficial. The deeper we go, the more we realize it's impossible to understand. From the biggest perspective to the smallest perspective. When we think of the universe, there are so many speculations of what the universe actually is. But how it's working and how the planets are actually floating and why they're floating and what is the sun and what is the stars. It's incomprehensible. And the better our telescopes, the more we realize we don't know. (laughs) Really. This is actual honest knowledge. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Egoistic. Dishonest knowledge is the more I know, the more I understand everything. That's because you don't really understand. This creation is inconceivable. It's so beyond us. And even in the smallest particles, the atomic particles, and what's inside the atomic particles... Scientists go deeper and deeper and deeper, and the more they go deeper, the more they realize there's something else there. That we, <laughs> there's something else there that we didn't know about, and what's in that? And then when we find out what's in that, we realize there's something else in that that we don't know. And what's the energy that's made? What's the energy, the Shakti, within all of these little atomic particles that are actually activating them? It's inconceivable. Everything about creation is inconceivable. The only thing that's conceivable is how inconceivable we are by thinking we can understand it. So when we see creation in this perspective, we can actually see God we can see Krishna in the creation. This achintya shakti. The achintya shakti is all-pervading. Achintya shakti is not just um, a philosophical principle which describes when God comes to earth and performs incredible feats. Achintya Shakti, everything about Krishna is Achintya Shakti. And this creation is a manifestation of Krishna. So therefore, everything about creation is Achintya, inconceivable. And the more we understand how it's inconceivable, 
is only possible when we see beyond our own ahankar or ego through these senses, through this tiny little intelligence. The greatest thinkers, the great Einstein, one of the greatest scientific minds in creation that we know of. But his conclusion is without a supreme brain, it can't be working like this. It's inconceivable. One scientist, he was a little honest because he had some religious um, connections. He said, the more I understand the scientific of the world, it's like, it's like going to the shore of the ocean and understanding one or two grains of the sand. That's all, that's the most we can understand in the limitless shore of the ocean of material existence is we can understand a couple little grains. We can't even understand what's in those grains. And the more we learn how it's working, the more unbelievable it is to us. The clouds, the seeds growing into trees, every living being, how we're growing, where we came from, all of you humans, you know, your little soul, the soul is inconceivable. The soul is eternal. And it's the soul that is activating the whole material nature. The Paramatma is the soul of the universe, that's Krishna. And within every little body of the universe is a little Jivatma that's, manif- that's the controller of that. How inconceivable. You, personally, are beyond birth and death. You personally are a part of God. You personally have unlimited, inconceivable love for God within you. You, each and every one of you, has total compassion toward every living being. Each and every one of us is such ananda, eternal, full of knowledge and full of bliss. How many of you feel like that? Each and every one of you is beyond suffering. Each and every one of you is beyond anxiety forever. You've never been anything else. Do you have that realization? And the mathematicians and the technologists and the scientists are the same. How many of them know that? The soul is inconceivable beyond our intelligence. What is infinity? There's no limit. There's no beginning. There's no end. That's who we are. And every molecular particle of the entire creation is part of that infinity. Because prakriti, or material nature, is eternal. 
It's not subjected to time. Time just transforms things, just puts things in motion for these changes. But even scientists, Gorhari, you can tell me, don't they say that matter cannot be destroyed, it's only transformed? Can you give us an explanation of that? Because he's a PhD and I, a college dropout. Hare Krishna Maharaj. What I understand uh, is matter and energy, they are are transformability into each other. So overall, either it's this way or that way. So either there is matter or there is energy. So it, it doesn't get destroyed at all. Is that what the scientists say? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for a wonderful... You make it so simple. <laughs> so how inconceivable that this whole creation, everything's time is, is, is putting everything in motion and the three modes of material nature being influenced by time, rajaguna, Tamaguna, Sattvaguna is just making everything moving and every, all, all the objects that we know are made of, of, of all sorts of molecular little things that are moving around. Yes, we see in our eyes, we see a piece of plastic. But what's, what's within the plastic, Gorhari Prabhu? <laughs> If you had the best possible microphone microscope, what would you see in the plastic? I'm learning myself, actually. <laughs> huh? So plastic is a polymer, and it consists of molecules, which consists of atoms, and then you know, they talk about quarks. So the, and within the smallest unit, there is Paramatma. <laughs> so are all these things moving, all these atoms and molecules? They're constantly moving. Constantly moving. So whenever you see, this is constantly moving. <laughs> it's totally inconceivable. And some of the elements they can't even really see. They just understand it's there just by the effects that's happening on other elements, yes? And then beyond that is some other element. And you ultimately came to the point of Paramatma, who's ultimately moving everything. Paramatma, God, is not only in the heart of every living being, it is in every atom. And Paramatma is absolutely inconceivable. He's the cause of all causes. He's, he's the supreme. Mahatoma, Hiyamanatoniyan. The smaller than the smallest, the bigger than the biggest. He knows everything. And he's at the very essence of every atomic particle. That's quite inconceivable. 
So Akura is here explaining from the perspective of material nature that Krishna is beyond any intelligence, beyond any scientific research to even imagine what to speak of understand. He's only possible. We can only know Krishna when Krishna reveals himself to us. This is the basic principle of bhakti. As we surrender to Krishna, Krishna reveals himself accordingly. This material nature, incomprehensible, unbelievable, very difficult to overcome the illusions. Because you see, the energy that's behind everything within material existence is maya, mahamaya, the illusory energy. It's that illusory energy that is activating everything. It is that illusory energy that is in and between every atom. It's all there to keep us in illusion. But then Krishna tells, after explaining this daivihe this material nature, which is completely beyond anybody's capacity, Krishna says that I am the controller of material nature. Because as Gorhari Prabhu has so scientifically um, represented the very essence of IIT, that Paramatma is behind Mahamaya. The whole illusory energy is, Krishna is always within it, directing it and controlling it. So without Krishna, it's impossible to ever understand anything as it is because maya is so powerful. But by Krishna's free will, through devotion, Krishna is willing to reveal himself to us. And when he reveals himself to us, he could reveal himself in everything. Krishna tells in Gita, for one who sees me everywhere and everything in me, for that person I'm never lost, nor are they ever lost to me. When by Krishna's grace we are given love, Prem, we can see Krishna everywhere. We can see Krishna. And how do we see Krishna everywhere? we see the opportunity to serve Krishna and love Krishna in every situation. Can you imagine having eyes where when you look at somebody, you actually see every cell and every atomic particle and everything within each cell? You see all the atoms moving? 
Could you imagine having eyes that actually saw that reality? The only reason why we see things looking the way they are is because we have such gross, (laughs) external, insufficient vision. Yes, we see a man or a woman, we think, oh, they are so beautiful, they are so handsome. It's only because you only see so much. If only you had deeper vision, you would see the blood and you would see the nerves and you would see the organs and you would see all the atomic particles and the cells and the atoms and the neutrons and electrons and everything all moving around. And you wouldn't be attracted at all. (laughs) Yes, it would be quite disgusting in one sense. So maya keeps our vision on such a level that we remain in illusion. Isn't it inconceivable? Why a rat sees such beauty in another rat? To a caterpillar, there's nothing else beautiful except a female caterpillar. Yes? Even even if a caterpillar is crawling on the body of Miss India... There's not the slightest bit of attraction. It's just looking, even while crawling, even on a very, very um, special part of the body of Miss India, the caterpillar is just looking for another caterpillar. That's how Maya works. We're just programmed to see things in such a way just to keep us in illusion just to keep these attractions and these aversions in our life. That is the power of material energy. And Akura is saying, but if Krishna wants to reveal himself, it is beyond all these material considerations. And here he is. He's seeing Krishna as Narayan. He's seeing Balaram as Ananta Shesha. And then when he's going to come back to the, to, the, to the chariot, he's going to understand that Krishna and Balaram are the origin of Ananta Shesha and Narayan. And Krishna is showing him all of this even though he is, from an external perspective, He's on a mission to kill Krishna. He's on a mission to kill Krishna. He's on a mission that in killing Krishna would bring complete pain and devastation to Radharani and Nanda and Yashoda, Lalita, Vishaka, Sridama, Subala, all the Brijabhasis who Krishna loves. It's the most terrible thing imaginable. But he understood that Krishna knew his heart. Sri 
Srila Prabhupada explains that Krishna doesn't just see the thing that we offer. He sees the purpose in which it is offered. He sees our intent. We see Akura, he's going to be very much misunderstood by what he did. But he had such a pure intent. He really could understand that this really is what Krishna and Balaram wanted him to do. In fact, Krishna and Balaram were honoring him as their uncle, as a senior. And because he asked them to come, he honored them and said, yes, we will go. And they were all excited. We're going to Mathura. We will get to see Mathura. We'll get to see the bow. We'll get to wrestle. <laughs> they were really happy. So the context of this beautiful prayer, that even Brahma, 